Well, uh, in this in this room, uh, you know, we have worshipers in the gym and in on our North Area campus in Goose Creek. But I just want to say, in this room, we just heard uh, an orchestra piece that was absolutely phenomenal, unbelievable. Um, so, so thank you for that. You know, just we think about Thanksgiving and. There's a recent book that I'm kind of halfway through by a guy named Mark Knoll entitled Understanding Christ and Developing a Christian Mind. And Knoll is an incredible historian, professor, writer, has taught at Notre Dame and Wheaton. And, 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 and he says that the, the, the basis for the true intellectual pursuit of anything, whether it's physics or, or literature or math, anything, is to understand that Christ is Lord of all. And the Christ we worship spoke everything into being. And that every blade of grass and every raindrop shouts forth the glory of a creative God. So that's, I think he's right. So anyway, thank you for the, just thank you for beauty. Beauty is so, it's just glorious. Okay, we're going to be in Psalm 108. Psalm 108. As we continue this study, Thanksgiving theme this week and next week. The psalmist says in verse 5, he talks about the goodness of God. Then he says, out of my distress, I called to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. I was in distress. I could have gone into despair. But instead, I called out to the Lord, and the Lord answered me, and he set me free. Now, I want to walk in freedom and dignity and joy and hope with a resounding embrace of the living reality of Christ in my life. Um, Galatians chapter 5 says this, verse 1, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not be yoked again by the burden of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Now you stand free. You stand firm. He says in verse 7, You were running a good race who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth. In other words, Paul says, you know, Christ has set us free. It is our calling to stand firm. It is our calling to run the good race. Not the gospel of merely sin management. Not merely getting along, going along to do what we need to do, but standing firm, running the good race. Out of my distress I called, and the Lord answered me, and he set me free. Um, here's a picture. This, um, this man who left is called, his name was Ronald Reagan, right, was uh, his national secretary of, um, National Security Advisor, Richard Allen. And as the Reagan year started, they were having a conversation one day, and the National Security Advisor, Richard Allen, said to President Reagan, said, President Reagan, really, what is your goal in the Cold War with the Soviets? What is, what's the end game? And he said, Dick, here's the end game. We win and they lose. He says, how's that sound to you? We win they lose. Uh, I look at the Christian faith. I look at who Jesus is in our life. 
The cross stands as a statement, we win, the forces of evil lose. The empty tomb stands as a statement. God's people win, evil forces lose. The, the interceding Christ, who is the ascended Christ, who prays for his people in heaven, is a statement of, we are the victors, they lose. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me, and he set me free. And so the question I have this morning as we look at this is, how do you walk in freedom? I think this text gives us some very strong hints. How do you walk in freedom? Number one, you walk in freedom as you remember the character of the God who is. The most important thing we will ever think about in our lives is who is this God that we worship? Because that marks our character. That marks the way we live. It says here in verse 6, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Verse 7, The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on all of my foes, on those who hate me. Who is this God? The, the, the Lord is on my side. I, I will not fear. What can man do to me? In 1933, a president just been elected named Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And he gave a speech and he had a, a line in it that has forever been etched upon our memories. He said this. He said, so first of all, and this is the first paragraph of his inaugural address. He said, so first of all, let me assert my belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. The only thing we have to fear is, is fear itself, the fear that, that, that paralyzes. And, and the, the psalmist is saying something like that here. He says, you know, if I'm going to walk in freedom, I've got to remember that the Lord is on my side. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side. There is no fear. God is, and I walk before him. God is, he's my, he's, 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 there's no fear. See, people around us are, shout out, these are dark, uncertain hours. What are we going to do? We say, his kingdom come, his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. People around us say, there is despair and there's no hope. I am forlorn. And we sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Others say, well, there are devils and there's evil. And it seems at times that there is a, a winning resound in what they're doing. And we say with Luther of old, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. There's no fear. For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness, grim, we, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. One little word shall fail him. There's no fear because we know the name Jesus. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. Psalm 11 goes like this. The psalmist starts off, he says, In the Lord I take refuge. 
How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows and they set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. And then their call, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? He says, he says flee as a bird to the mountains. Hide. Because the wicked bend their bows. They've got their, their arrows in the string. It is taunt. And they're shooting at you from the shadows. Not in the broad daylight. You can't see it coming. They're in the shadows. They're going to destroy you. Then the ultimate cry is, 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 is when, when the foundations are being destroyed, obliterated, wiped out, what can the righteous do? And here's what the godly says in response. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his holy throne. He observes the sons of men and his eyes examine them. Well, it it may look bad. And yes, they're evil forces. And yes, they draw their arrows. And yes, they hide in the shadows. And yes, they cloak their immoralities and their duplicities with words that sound sweet. But, 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 but God, 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 God is on his throne. God examines our ways. There is no reason for ultimate fear. God is. You've got something. God is. In 2 Corinthians, you know, Paul says, in this life, we groan. He says it twice in this passage. We groan. You're you're disappointed. You're discouraged. Your body breaks down. Life is tough. We groan. We groan longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed with our heavenly dwelling, our resurrection bodies, we will no longer be found in this state of disrepair. For while we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. It's just just so honest. It's just honest. We we groan. And then he says in verse 7, but listen, we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. Sure, they're evil people with arrows taunt and they're in the shadows, but you forget something. The Lord is my shield. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. The Lord knows what he is doing. If if I'm to walk in freedom, I've got to realize the Lord is on my side. There's no ultimate fear. What in the world can man do to me? Of course, my, my, my mind runs to Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus gives this incredibly beautiful illustration. I've quoted several times. He says, he said, are, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Nothing, I mean, just nothing. And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are worth more than many sparrows. Every time you comb your hair and a hair comes out, you ought to say, well, Lord, 
that's one less hair you have to worry about. You know, God, God knows. I, what unspeakable joy. You know, people run around and they say, you know, flee to the mountains. Oh, the wicked are coming. Old age is coming. Teenage years are coming. The, the wicked have drawn their bows, taunt. They're in the shadows. You can't even see them. So you forget something. God is. The Lord is with me. The Lord is my God. I will not fear man. What can man do to me? There's assurance. Years ago, we had a Bible conference here. We had several people come in. It was a wonderful experience. One of the men who came in was uh, named Richard Land, who has been for years head of the Ethics Commission for Southern Baptists in Washington. He's a big, outspoken, big Texan. And another guy that came in was a guy named Timothy George, who is the head of the uh, divinity school associated with Sanford University called Beeson Divinity School. And about, about three or four months before he, the conference, uh, it was released in the press that a man had died and left $30 million to the Beeson Divinity School. And it can only never be bigger than 150 students, so they're, they're set. They're just set. And so we went out to eat one night after the conference, the three of us, and Dr. George, who's a great church historian, got up to go to the restroom. And Richard Land looked at me and he says, you know, there's a certain swagger that $30 million brings to a man. <laughs> and he was having fun with Timothy. And, you know, I guess there is. I have to take it by faith. I've never been there. But, you know, I thought there should be a certain humble swagger in the heart and the life of a child of God who says, if God is for me, then who can be against me? If, if God is God and I am his, no one can snatch me from his hand. Do, do you know the assurance that you are someone who belongs to God by the work of Jesus? I, I think, brothers and sisters, it should bring a swagger to us, a joy to us, a confidence to us. And, and when people... When people, when, when we all, all of us will hear these words, words of death, either slow or quick. And while, while our contemporaries will run around saying, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I said, yes, death is coming, but death has lost its victory in my life because death is not the final word. You see, God is. And God has revealed himself fully in the person of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for my sin. Do you have that hope? Do you have that hope? And so he goes on, he says, he says, he says the character of God, he says, the Lord is my helper. I will look in triumph on all of my foes. The, the, the Lord is my helper. The, there is going to be an end result to all of this. He's my helper. He watches over me. I will look in triumph on all of my foes. I was reading this old confession of faith, and it says this in the last chapter. It says, on the day of judgment, in that day, 
The righteous will inherit everlasting life and receive a fullness of joy and glory in the Lord's presence as their eternal reward. But the wicked who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ will be relegated to everlasting torments and punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Heaven is real, hell is real. To deter all men from sin on the one hand and to give greater comfort to the godly in their adversity on the other hand, Christ would have us firmly persuaded that a day of judgment lies ahead. For the same reason, he has kept that day's date a secret so that men may shake off all confidence in themselves and in ignorance of the hour in which the Lord will come may be forever on watch and cry out, come Lord Jesus, come. There's a day. See, God says in Romans 12, vengeance is mine. I will repay. The psalmist says here about the character of God, the Lord is my helper. I will look in triumph on those who have persecuted the church. I don't don't have to be mean-spirited. I can be loving. I can pray for them, asking God to turn their hearts. You see, you understand the character of God. A day is coming. A few months ago, I read about an obituary about a man named Albert Brown. Incredible story. Albert Brown died in September or, or August of 2011. Albert Brown was the last surviving person who participated in the Bataan Death March. He uh, Bataan Death March happened uh, in World War II. He was a, he had just become a dentist. Went to Creighton University. Outstanding athlete, four-star athlete, six-one-one eighty. So he flies in the Philippines. Three months later, the Philippines falls. Japanese sweep in. There's there's seventy thousand Filipino and American troops, and they send them on a seventy-eight mile forced march in the tropics on the equator in the heat. Give them almost nothing to eat and nothing to drink. Of the 70,000 that started, 11,000 fell, and they were murdered, put to death. In fact, Albert Brown didn't talk about it until 20 years before he died when his granddaughter was doing a paper. He said, I'll finally talk about it. And Anyway, he he saw a man beheaded. He was a POW for the Japanese for three and a half years. He went from 180 pounds to 90 pounds. 6'1", 90 pounds. He was so beaten that he could never practice dentistry again. He came back and he opened up some property for rental. He got to know people like Gene Autry and John Wayne in Los Angeles. His godfather, by the way, was Wild Bill Cody in Iowa, born in Iowa. But you think about what this, this dear man uh, went through. And he went through something that was significant and, and, and very meaningful. But you see, we go through something that is eternal called the kingdom of God. We go through something that will last forever and ever and ever. And that's who we are. You see, the Lord is our helper. We're part of the kingdom. And then he says this, he says, we've got to be people who understand if we're going to walk in freedom, we've got to take uh, refuge in the Lord. Listen to this, 
Verse 8, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Take refuge in the Lord. You, you hear people, you, know, you say, well, what, what do I do? You say, well, take refuge in the Lord. Yeah. And it's, we're, we're guilty of sometimes using cliche buzzwords, um, you know, trust in the Lord. One of the, one, one of the ones I don't like very much at all is just, just let go and let God. I don't, don't know what that means. Uh, but trust in the Lord. Just, just, and, or it's kind of like a football coach after a football game where he's just had his defensive secondary burn bad. He said, they said, what's wrong, coach? Well, our, our defensive alignment was not very good. And what, he, what that really means is we have very slow defensive backs and we've got to do some major league recruiting in the offseason. But he can't say that. You have to use buzzwords. Be, be careful at using buzzwords. So, so my question is, what does it mean to take refuge in the Lord? What does it mean to take refuge in the Lord? And here, I'm going to do this very quickly. I've got a statement in the bulletin here. It says this. We take refuge in the Lord when we live with focused intentionality by asking for spirit-filled empowerment. Focused intentionality. See, if I'm going to walk in freedom, I've got to have focused intentionality where I plead for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I want you to get this. Focused intentionality as I plead for the power of the Holy Spirit. So taking refuge in the Lord is intentionally living as you plead for the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. For example, three, I'm suggest this, there are three things that the Holy Spirit primarily does. He convicts us of sin. Jesus says when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of, in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. So focus intentionality means that you come before the Lord and you say, Lord, I take refuge in you. And as I take refuge in you, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would convict me of sin, that I would break up the unplowed ground so I can know you better and be more used of you. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is he opens the word of God for us. First, second Corinthians says that, that their minds were made dull for to this day, the minds of the old believers the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Only in Christ is it taken away. So, so one thing the Holy Spirit does is he, he opens the word of God. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit elevates Christ. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, Jesus says, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Now, if if I am to walk in freedom, I've got to know the character of God and take refuge in him as I live intentionally. And we have a very a person in our church that's very dear to us. He is a cross-cultural worker in India. His name is Tom Wolf. And Tom is a brother and a joy in the Lord. Tom has more hand signals when he teaches than a third base coach for the Atlanta Braves. And, and more noises as well. He's an amazingly gifted guy. But sometimes 
hand signals are good. So I want you to get this, get this, okay? What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit exposes our sin, opens the Word of God for our understanding, and elevates the person of Christ. So if I'm to take refuge in the Lord intentionally, I to plead for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, expose my sin as I walk with you and as I read the Word of God. Holy Spirit, open the Word of God. And Holy Spirit, exalt the great name of Jesus. That is what the Holy Spirit does. Are you taking refuge in the Lord? Are you walking in freedom because you know the character of God? He is for you. What can man do to you? He is your helper. You will look in triumph on your foes. Do you understand the character of a great and glorious God? And are you taking refuge in the Lord who exposes sin, opens the word of God, and exalts the person of Christ? Apart from the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we cannot rightly understand or make application of the Word of God. Apart from the dynamic leadership that the Holy Spirit brings, we cannot exalt the name of Jesus like we want to. Apart from the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we will play fast and loose with our sin instead of saying, it is me, I have sinned, I need to break up unplowed ground and make character adjustments very quickly. When that happens... When that happens, verse 10, all the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. Now, why could the psalmist say in the name of the Lord? Because he knew the character of God and because he's taken refuge in the living God. You know the character of God, you take refuge. Refuge involves exposing sin, opening the word, exaltation of Christ. And then you say, I said in the name of the Lord. Clothed in the majesty of Christ, as a Christian with my armor on, I cut them off. I cut them off. I want us to walk in dignity and joy and freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Now you stand by knowing the character of God, by by finding in Him a refuge as the Holy Spirit exposes, opens the Word of God, and exalts Christ. And then you can say, in the name of the Lord, I go forward. You see that? This lady, I'll close with this. This lady, Jean Kirkpatrick, born in Oklahoma. Uh, mother of four boys, raised of boys. Then she taught at Georgetown. Uh, became a UN ambassador spoke out with great fervor on political freedoms, uh, especially would list the names of, of Soviets before the Soviet Union fell, Soviet people who were unjustly being held or uh, was a champion for that. And anyway, she, she, one day she finally was able to go to the Soviet Union, rise and fell, and one of the people that she had spoken out for was a man named Andrei Sakharov. Most of us who are over 45 remember that name. Uh, a great physicist who spoke for world peace and spoke against what the Soviet Union was doing in Afghanistan especially because of that he was, he was sent to the outer parts of Siberia where nobody ever went. And uh, he went on several hunger strikes because his wife needed valve replacement surgery. They couldn't do it in the Soviet Union. He wanted to go to the U.S. and have it done. They said, no, finally, after several hunger strikes, I let her have heart surgery, and she came back. But, but Jean Kirkpatrick came to, to me it's very moving, came to the Soviet Union as was falling, as U.N. ambassador from the U.S., 
And a group of people met her delegation, among whom was Andrei Sakharov, who had been awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for research and, and just, just a brilliant man. And this stooped man who died just a few years after that came up to, to Miss Kirkpatrick and he said, is, is, is Miss Kirkpatsky here? Miss Kirkpatsky. And they said, I'm, I'm sorry, sir, we can't say no. Miss Kirkpatsky. And it was Kirkpatrick. He just, you know. He says, Ambassador Jean Kirkpatsky. Oh, yes. She's over here. And he came over, run over, and he grabbed her with trembling hands. And he said, thank you for what you've done for us. He said, there is not a gulag in the Soviet Union where your name is not known. And I read that and I thought, I would hope that there is not a corridor in the demonic homes where the powers and the authorities and the spiritual forces of wickedness are housed that does not know the name of the praying people who believe God and trust God called East Cooper Baptist Church. You know, I, I, really, I, I want us to be famous in hell. Yeah. Famous in hell. Because we walk in the freedom of Christ, because we know the character of God, we've taken refuge in Him, and because we've taken refuge in Him, we can say, in the name of the risen Triune, glorious God, I stand against the forces of darkness. Let's pray. Lord, during this Thanksgiving uh, season, we are thankful for your mercy to us. We are thankful that you are God eternal, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are thankful that you are for us, your God, therefore there's no fear. What can man do to us? We thank you that you are our helper, that we will look with triumph on our foes. We thank you that we can take refuge in you as we are filled with the Holy Spirit and as you, Holy Spirit, reveal sin, open the scripture, and especially exalt the great name of Christ. And because of that, we can say, I stand against the forces of darkness in my life, in my neighborhood, in my church, in my culture, in my nation, we stand against. So Lord, may we be thankful people as we glory in and realize the tender mercies of the living God. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.